But how many of you guys know that there's a difference between men and women? How many of you, men, sometimes you can't see the obvious? You know, the other day I, I lost a card. It was a pass for a local store here. And they said, well, we gave it to you last. The guys said it. Pastor Mike said it. My wife said it. I said, I, I don't know what happened to it. I, and two weeks went by. And one day I just opened my wallet and emptied it for the gazillionth time. And there it was exactly where I put it. And how many of you guys have a husband that likes to hunt and fish? Anybody? Or maybe you just like to go out into the woods and just drive around and you might see a picture like this one and you might tell your wife, look at the deer. It's out there. You see the deer? Right? And your wife may say, I can't see a thing. All I see is trees and snow. And you're like, no, there is a tree in there or a, 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 there is a, a deer in there. And, and those of you guys that have an eye of a hunter, you saw it. Uh, so there's a deer in there and you know you get in a big argument because your wife don't see it you see it and you insist it's there and she says well if you can see the deer in the tree how come you can't see the ketchup on the door of the refrigerator and you're wondering where I put it now I don't know if that's you but how many times have you gone to the refrigerator and you're looking for the ketchup or the mustard Right there in bright yellow cups or bright red and you can't see it. So your wife goes over there, sticks her hand, says, it's right here. That tells you how different we are. Tells you how blind we are. And I wanted to speak a little bit about that. How many of you guys know that your marriage is a prized possession? Your wife is a prized possession. She is your possession. Now, she belongs to God and you've been given a stewardship. Your marriage belongs to God and you've been given a stewardship over that marriage. You've been given a stewardship over that relationship. And so many times we forget that we are stewards and not the, uh, we, we are not the owners and God has made us stewards. And when with stewardship comes responsibilities. Uh, the return, you're going to have to one day return that marriage to God. You're going to one day have to present uh, that crown to God. You're going to have to present that reward to God. Because there are earthly rewards, and then there are temporal rewards. Give me that baby up here for just a minute. I just saw her. She just caught my eye. And this is a reward from the Lord right here, right now. What is her name again? I'm sorry. Isabella. Isabella. She's got a name of royalty. Say, good morning, Isabella. And so you can have her back. I don't want to keep her. Not unless you're giving her as an offering to the Lord. I'll take her. There she is. Look at that. That's, that's what we need. All right. There we go. Wow. I've been asking her, when are we going to dedicate that baby? We dedicate her to the Lord right there. She belongs to the Lord. I had a cousin in California, and, you know, we kind of lost communication because she's about my age. And uh, one day, going back to the airport when I was leaving, we were talking, and I was going and giving her a little bit of my history and testimony and 
some of the things that I had put my grandparents through and talking. And I was just telling her, she's crying in the back, and she's just doing all this. And then we're talking about her children and how of a blessing they are. And she said, I've been wanting to dedicate her and, you know, do the Christian dedication. But, you know, just, you know, I don't just, I don't agree with how my family lives or my husband's or, you know, certain other relatives. And so I just have put it off. And so we were just talking, and they dropped me off at my uncle's house right there in Burbank, in California, we got off the car, and I says, what delays? The king's matter requires haste. And I dedicated that baby right there on the spot in Jesus' name, and that was it. So if you have your Bibles, open them to Genesis chapter, or Genesis, uh, it's going to be chapter 2. It says in Genesis chapter 2, we only have one verse up there, but I'm going to go back, back up to verse 18. Uh, since you have your Bible open, you could follow along. It says, Then the Lord God took the man and placed him in the garden to tend and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may eat freely, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil... You shall not eat, or in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And the Lord God said, it is not good. Somebody say, it is not good that the man should be alone. It says, I will make him a helper comparable to him. But the idea is not only a helper or someone suitable, the word is in the original language a help me. Now that's not a mispronunciation or misspelling. Uh, notice your wife is not your help meet, M E A T, or your help mate, M A T E. She is your help meet. And what the what what, what the, the the connotation is there is that God is saying your wife is your help. The the Hebrew word, Pastor Mike beat me to it, is Ezer. And the word Ezer means help. She is your help. In other words, you cannot fulfill God's purpose on your life without divine help. How many of you guys remember the story of Joshua when they went out to fight the Amalekites? And the Bible says that they got to a certain place, and Joshua named the place Ebenezer. Uh, if you've been down to the south, or maybe you've been down to a big city, uh, I'm sure that you've come across a, a, a Southern Baptist church or a Baptist church that is Ebenezer Baptist and basically what Ebenezer means, Nezer means help and Eb means divine help. In other words, Joshua said, up until now, the Lord God has helped us. And your wife is your help. Your wife is your multiplier. Your wife is who God wants to use to bring about what he has accomplished for you to bring forth as a man. Um, I remember being 18 years old, and uh, I was on probation, and I had been just recently, uh, I guess you could say a graduate from the New Mexico Boys School, and uh, we had, uh, I, I think it was eight, 16 when I, when I discharged, and then 18 when I finally completed uh, a probation by a miracle, I didn't end up back there, uh, because the, the staff at the boys' school told me, you'll leave from here and graduate to the state pen, 
And so when I went to my final visit at 18 years old, there was a name, a, na a lady that's commonly known uh, throughout the community through education and, and, and the, the juvenile justice system or the judiciary. Uh, I don't know. I think she's a lot older now, uh, obviously, but her name was uh, Ginger Sloan. And Ginger Sloan was my probation officer. When I went over there, I sat down and we talked and and, uh, you know, I was there to see her for the last time. And she said, what are you going to do? I said, I'm getting married. And she says, who are you getting married to? And I said to her, and she says, do you know her family? I was like, obvious. Does her family know who you are? And she's like, hmm. And, and, then, and then she says, you know, I would advise against you getting married because you have nothing to offer her. What she said. How many of you guys know that people speak curses into your life? Um, some people will try to abort the plan of God. And even during your marriage, you got to discern. Now, that prayer was not of the Lord. Those words were not of the Lord. And so I rebuke and curse those words and command them to leave from where they go, from where they came from. And I remember that so vividly that, you know, I didn't think of it as a curse. I didn't think of it as a, a stumbling block. And I never even thought of it as, well, this is my challenge. I'll show her because 23 years later, I got it right. I got five children, adult children. Amen. I've got ministry. I've got a wife. I've got my home. I tell you what, your greatest value, your greatest treasure is your home and it is your wife. And so God said, when I saw Adam, I, that poor guy can't even help himself. I got to put someone in his path to bless him. So be, I could be able to multiply the blessings on his life. How many of you guys know that your wife is a great multiplier? You give her a seed, she'll incubate it. She'll multiply it. She'll bless it, press down, shaken together. She'll give birth to it. But how many of you guys know that if you give her trouble, she'll incubate it, she'll multiply it, press down and shaken together. So it could work both ways, guys. So it could work both ways. So God has a help meet for you, to help you meet your purposes, to help you accomplish your uh, priorities that God has put on your heart. You know, as I was reading uh, some Song of Solomon's this week, uh, Song of Solomon chapter 8, um, just wanted to put that out there. By the way, about seven years ago or six years ago, we saw this same lady, Ginger Sloan, at that same court um, just about seven years ago. And, and, uh, and, and she saw me and she said, don't I know you? And I says, yes, this is, I'm, I'm Daniel Arellano. She said, I thought I knew you from somewhere. And she says, who's this? I said, this is my wife. She says, what are you guys doing here? She probably thought we were there for custody issues or whatever, you know, um, you know, however, whatever you go to court for, right, as a couple. And she looked at us, and she says, well, what are you guys doing here? And I says, we're here to sign adoption papers for these two beautiful children. You know, could you imagine? I don't think she ever remembered what she said to me, but for some reason, God just recently allowed me to remember that. And so, uh, Song of Solomon, we'll go there. I think it's chapter... Um, 
chapter 8, if if you're looking at that little bookmark, I'll get to it in a minute, because I want to also mention some things from there, but it's going to key in here. Song of Solomon, by the way, guys, if you've lost your game, if you've lost, what what can I tell my wife? What can I text my wife? Just pick up one of these little verses from in here, and I'll tell you what, it'll work wonders. Song of Solomon, chapter uh, 7, verse 10 says, I am my beloved's, notice this, and his desire is towards me. His desire is towards me. And then it goes on and says in verse chapter 8, verse 3, it said, His left hand is under my head, and his right hand embraces me. In verse 4, we'll give it to you as a bonus, something I've taught the kids, the girls for many, many years, even our own boys. I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, do not stir up nor awaken love until it pleases. In other words, there's a time that's right for love between a young man and a young girl. And how many of you guys know that you can be the whole package, but end up at the wrong address? And if you are not meant at that person's address, if that is not the recipient of the package, they'll mishandle you. They might, you know, uh, abuse you, whatever it might be. But how many of you guys know that there's a right time and a wrong time to pursue love? Here, Song of Solomon's wife is, is writing down this in this journal about her husband. And what she is saying is, I am my beloved's and his desire is towards me. In other words, what she is saying, I have exclusivity to my husband. In other words, his thoughts are towards me. Here's one, I'm just going to go right to it. His compliments are for me. See, as a Christian husband, you have no business complimenting another woman. You have no business getting close to another woman. You have no business complimenting on her smell, on her shoes, on her nails. See, if you belong to your beloved, the Bible says, my beloved is mine and his desire is towards me. If she ain't your if she ain't your wife, if she ain't your wife, you shouldn't be texting her, you shouldn't be calling her, you shouldn't be looking her up on Facebook. Now it gets you in trouble. My and my beloveds, and his desire is for me. You know that God's desire is that you both would be in church and stay in church. We've seen marriages fall apart through trials and tribulations, and we're not casting stones because we all have our shared troubles in this life. All of us have endured tremendous difficulties, but the most important thing is that even through the difficulty, your desire remains for your wife. Because a lot of times you go through a circumstance and your desires change. Right? Some of us might desire more to be at work than to be with our wife. Some of us may have desire to be with the fellas on Friday night rather than at a dinner with your wife. Some of us may desire to be more involved in ministry than with our wife. 
You know, it's amazing how many times families come to Pastor Mike or to this ministry and they want counseling. They want God to fix their marriage. When the word is taught on Sundays and we had a banquet on Friday, now you want, because you're not spending time with your wife, because your wife has not been exclusive to you, you haven't prioritized your marriage, now you want the man of God to spend your day off and him take a day off so he can minister to you. You want him to take time away from his family and his wife so that he could put your marriage back together. Now I know there's a time and a place for one-on-one -on -one counseling, and there's a time and a place for marriage retreatment. But don't ask Pastor Mike to do what you're not willing to do. When's the last time you took time away to, I know you like to travel and you like to go take pictures, and, but what if, what was this the last time you just took your wife out? I know you like time teaching the Word of God and you want time to preach the Word of God and you want to invest in the life of others. And you desire that when you get up in the morning, you think, Lord God, how can you use me today? God says, I want you to go and just take your wife out and spend time with her. Tell her today, you're exclusively mine. Just this hour or this next couple of hours. I want to show you that you belong to me. I want to show you that my compliments are towards you. I want to show you that I still think of you. In the same way I did. Pastor Mike said something on Friday caught my attention. He said, open the door for your wife of the car. I heard someone say recently, if you see a man opening the door for his wife, it's either a new car or a new wife. <laughs> so your wife is your greatest treasure. Your wife is your greatest reward. How many of you guys know that every one of us has received a crown in our wife? Every one of us has received a crown. Your wife, the Bible says in the book of Proverbs chapter 18, that a, hus a wife is a husband's crown. A wife is a husband's crown. In other words, you have been given kingship. In other words, you have been given a royalty status. When God sees you, the Bible says that God uh, uh, sees you as a king. The Bible says he has given us a royal priesthood. That was Proverbs 18, by the way. Or was it? And Proverbs also teaches that if a man finds a wife, he finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. I remember the first time I heard a young pastor tell me that, not in a sermon, because sometimes we forget sermons we hear because we hear a lot of sermons. But when someone speaks to you directly, you'll never forget that. And I remember one time this young preacher, he's not associated with our ministry, yeah, I only heard him once speak at our ministry, as a matter of fact. And I remember I, I, I just, something, there was a gravitational pull for, of this man of God. I was very young, probably 18, 19, just recently married. And he says, oh yeah, who did you marry? The pastor's daughter. Really? Double bonus. Oh. And the thing is, I remember him saying, he's, he quoted that verse in Proverbs. He says, when, when you find a wife, you obtain a good thing. 
You find a good thing, a good thing, and obtain favor from the Lord. And it stuck with me. And many, many years later, decades went by. And just about a few years ago, that very same pastor got a younger girl pregnant. Left his family and left the ministry. Could you imagine that, that here's a man who had such influence on me in just a moment of time. At one time, he knew the word of God. He valued the word of God. And he knew what was right. He knew the proverb. And so many times we can get deceived easily because we get so distracted on the crowns of this life, on the rewards of this life. We want, you know, the exclusive benefits everywhere else. And God says, I have given you a wife. I have crowned you royalty. I have crowned you. And so many times we feel like, why am I living up to my expectations? Am I living up to the expectations that God has set in the, in the scriptures? Let me read you one more verse of scripture here, Proverbs 5, reading this to my boys when they were just teenagers. Still got one more and one coming into teenagehood. How many of you guys know that today's generation is dealing with temptation and lure? The lure of this world is a thousand times greater than what we ever faced growing up as kids. But Proverbs chapter 5 it says, drink water from your own cistern. I'm going to read the whole verse. And running water from your own well. Verse 16 of chapter 5. Should your fountains be dispersed abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be only your own and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice. Notice that. Rejoice in the wife of your youth rejoice in the you should have seen Pastor Mike on Friday evening some of you guys left we were supposed to have a dance session but they had their own private dance session and their grandkids were looking at them and then they saw grandpa show a, a little bit of PDA yeah. and you should have seen it we even got a picture of it the sister Gloria said if you show it I'm going to start blushing but she says Let, rejoice with the wife of your youth as a loving deer and graceful doe, let her breast satisfy you at all times and be always enraptured. Notice that. Always be enraptured with her love. He says, and why should you embrace by the arms of a seductress? Pastor Mike mentioned Samson last week or the week before. Can't remember what it was. And the Bible says that Delilah lulled in Samson. She lured him in. I, I thought, I went back and read it because I thought it said lured him in. How many of you guys use lures, man? You use lures, right? There's different lures for different type of fish. Delilah lured, lured him in. She lured him to sleep. She sang a lullaby to him. And here he was sleeping on her lap. And then the Bible says, then she called the men of the city and they cut his hair. And the Bible says that when he woke up, that his strength left him and he didn't even know it. Why? Because he was enraptured by a strange man, by a strange woman. Well, nowadays you can't be enraptured by a strange man. Proverbs 12, 4 says, an excellent wife is a crown to her husband. An excellent wife. Well, 
How many of you guys say, well, my wife's not that excellent? Well, maybe have you looked at yourself? Have you been treating her excellent? Right? Have you prioritized her? Have you made her feel like she's the crown jewel of the house? In 1 Peter chapter 4, the Bible refers to women as the weaker vessel. They have that back there in the screen. Um, 1 Peter chapter 4 says, uh, husbands, likewise dwell with your wife with understanding. In other words, live with your wife in an understanding way, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel. And being... As, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, notice this, so that your prayers not be hindered. You know that God, and James said it so well, is that our relationship with God matters. And if that's connected, then our other relationships will, will be connected. But God says that if you are not living with your wife in an understanding way, God is not giving, gonna, he's not going to hear your prayers. How many of you know that God knows exactly what you want and what you desire? But God says, but first of all, do you desire your wife like you once did? Does she still have exclusive rights to your thoughts, to your words, to your actions? And now as I was reading this, it says giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel. Now that does not mean that she's weaker than you. Because how many of you guys know that some women are strong? Some of us need strong women. What, what this implies is that she's fragile, I like how Pastor Mike said it one time to me in a note that he wrote me, in a Bible he gave me. He said, treat her as fine china. Now, I was going to do this, but I don't know if I should. But how many of you guys have very, very expensive pieces or, or, or artwork at home? You have it protected. You have it guarded. Now, what if I told you that this piece was very, very expensive, and I don't want to do it right now, but, but it was very worth a whole lot. And I just told you I was going to take it by my hand and, and run across the street with it and balance it on my hand and just take it out in the wind. You wouldn't do that. You would protect it. You would guard it. You would safe keep it. A lot of times what we do is we safe keep the temporal things. We safe keep our job. I got to show up because if not, then I'm not going to gain those hours. I got to show up because I got to, I got to gain, you know, that reputation. I, I need the money in the bank. We, we safeguard and we value the temporal things and the, eter the eternal things that matter most. We don't pay any attention to. We don't give any time to. Those things are exclusively more important to us. While you're spending hours and hours at work, the devil's talking to your wife and he's telling, well, could he really be working those many hours? Could he really be going where he says he's going? I learned a long time ago to take people with me, at least one person. When you get away from that, you get yourself in trouble. So do you value your wife as a co-heir with you? She is an heir with you in the grace of life. The Bible says if you're not living with your wife in an understanding way, God is not hearing your prayers. But how many of you know that God wants to bless your marriage? When you get to heaven, God is going to say, where are your crowns? 
I've already established the fact that you are, your wife is your greatest crown. Your wife is your greatest reward. Your marriage is your greatest reward. When you get to heaven one day, the Bible says that we will lay our crowns at his feet. In Revelation chapter 3, the Bible says that all those who came dropped their crowns and they placed them on his feet. Some of us think, well, when I get to heaven, I'm going to show God all my rewards, all my trophies, all my gold and silver I've acquired. No, you ain't going to take nothing. You're only going to take those people which you brought with you. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 19, I know I wrote it down, but I'm going to have to turn there. First um, Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 19. For what is our hope? A bigger paycheck? Promotion? What is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Rejoice with the wife of your youth. What is your crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ? Could you imagine, forgive me for using the illustration, but, but Kobe Bryant, because I've been talking to the kids about this, because a lot of times we put so much emphasis on the temporal, on the temporal, temporal rewards, temporal prizes, but in the end, they're not eternal. God, I'm a five-time world champion, so what? God, I'm an MVP all-star, so what? Lord, don't you know that I had, a, a, you know, I was the executive CEO of, so what? This is our crown of rejoicing, even you. By the way, this is called the soul winner's crown. We can win all the souls and lose the souls of those that we ought to love and that live in our own homes. You think about that for a minute, that we could be the saviors of the world and lose our own homes, lose our own wife. We could fix all the marriages and lose our own. That's why I'm reading that book and love that book that I've been reading, Acres of Diamonds. Some of us are living on acres of diamonds. We think it's out there. We think our rewards are out there. We think that our prized possessions are out there. And you're neglecting to realize that you're living on acres of diamonds. I know that right now you're going through a lot of pressure in your relationship. You're going through a lot of hard times. And maybe you've been going through darkness in your marriage. But how many of you guys know that it takes pressure and takes heat to make a diamond? The enemy will come and lie to you and say, it's out there. That little booklet that Russell uh, Wilson wrote in the 1800s, he talked about a man who had tremendous land. He had an ox and he had a horse and he had a plow and he woke up every day to work that plot, to work that land and he finally got fed up because all he was producing was lumps of coal, lumps of rocks. And he did not know that those lumps of rocks were acres of diamonds. He sold that valuable property in search of diamonds, threw his life into a Gulf Stream and ended up dying, committing suicide because he was seeking for it out there. So beware of the marriage assassins. I wrote down 12 of them, but I'm going to give you two of them because James touched on a lot of them last week. You know, one of the greatest marriage assassins in your life and in your marriage 
is outside interference. How many of you guys ever argue or have heated battles over people that don't even live in your home? A member of the church or ex-member of the church, they never even step foot in your home, yet they're controlling your home. They're controlling your anger. They're controlling your emotions. Outside interference. I'm not talking about your mother-in-law, your father-in-law. I'm not talking about your kids or your grandkids. I'm talking about outside interferences. Outside interferences will come and, and assassinate your marriage. I thought about that one and thought how easily outside interference could obtain with your number one relationship with your wife. And so this morning, I'm here to remind you that you have a crown jewel. You have a crown jewel in your wife. You have a fine china, as Pastor Mike referred to it. You have fine china, and so you ought to value that fine china. You ought to say, you're my co-heir. You are co-equal with me. I'm not greater than you, and you're not less than. We are co-heirs. You are my help me. I value you. My thoughts and my compliments are exclusively yours. Exclusively yours. So the Bible says, this is our hope. This is our joy or crown of rejoicing. Rejoice, the Bible says, with the wife of your youth. You know that one day we're going to go before Jesus Christ and you're going to present your crowns to him. By the way, there's... Uh, Five of them in the Bible that you can find. There's the soul winner's crown. There's the crown of rejoicing, which we just talked about. Then there's the crown of life, the crown of glory, which belongs to the shepherds who, who shepherd the work of God, who shepherd. The Bible says when you uh, uh, give diligence to shepherd the sheep, the Bible says the chief shepherd will crown you with the crown of glory. And you will present that crown to him in the end. So many of us, we're in search of crowns in this life, and we forget that one day those crowns will not be eternal. They're going to be wreaths, invaluable. They're not going to matter. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, the Bible says, Do you not know that those who run in a race, this is 1 Corinthians 9, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? He says, and everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it, somebody say do it, now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. You know, this world prides itself in, in rewards and accolades and in, in, in rings and trophies. As a matter of fact, last night we were watching the NBA All-Stars and both of them, both of the, the, the top finalists got the same number in scores, but it was not good enough for the judges and it was not good enough for the entertainment so they made them compete again and what should have been the real winner didn't win because he got 
scapegoated into believing that one more better and brighter dunk was going to solve it all. And so the Bible says that people in this world competes for the prize. They're temperate. They're disciplined. You know, when you, when you talk about these professional athletes or even your own accomplishments, your work, man, you're so disciplined. You give extra time and, and, and beyond your abilities, you'll go beyond your abilities to please people in the end that will not even matter. He says they're disciplined. They're temperate in all things. Now they do it, it says, to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. How many of you guys know that the world prides itself in individualism, individual accomplishment? You know, the world the last few weeks has been talking about this phenomena, this great athlete who was so great that he could literally, you know, command the universe and he had all these prides and all these awards and all this money. And all these plans for his future as if he was invincible. And then in one day, one day, your life can be snuffed out. A lot of these great athletes are sponsored by, you know, drinks, corporations. One of the largest one. If I were just to say, just do it, you would think Nike. Millions of dollars to athletes to just do it. In other words, you get up, you have the discipline, you have the drive. But the Lord God told me to tell the church, it's not just about you. It says, do you not know that the runners in a stadium all race, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way as to win that prize. Now everyone who competes exercises self-control and everything. Notice they do it, or you could put there just do it, to receive a perishable crown. Notice, but we do it to receive an imperishable crown. It's not about what I can accomplish. It's not but about what I can get. It's not about what I can receive in this lifetime. It's about we do it. We'll go through this together. We'll get through this storm together. We do this to keep our marriage. It's going to take discipline to keep your marriage vows. It's going to keep, take honor to keep your marriage vows. Sacrifice. Well, I keep sacrificing. I keep doing it. How much more do I got to endure? You keep enduring it. You keep enduring it. Because the Bible says that those who endure will receive the crown of life. Those who endure will receive the crown. So many times we get so caught up putting in more hours, putting in more time. I've got to be disciplined at my craft. As a matter of fact, it became so convenient for this great athlete to travel, to cut time in half. The very thing that he did to spend more time with his family was the very thing that cost him his life, his future. Thinking that my life is invisible and I can travel and do what I want, how I want, and life is so convenient, but yet in an hour that he knew not of, his life was gone. Maybe you don't take helicopter rides. Maybe you can't afford the luxuries of this world.
But I tell you one thing you can invest in is in your marriage, is in, your, in, in the relationship that counts the most. You can receive all the rewards and awards, but in the end, they'll be as nothing. In the end, they'll be as nothing. And God says, can you keep discipline your life to receive that which I have given you? From the very beginning, God said it is not good for man to be alone. I'm going to make a helper that is suitable for him. That Greek word or that Hebrew word can also mean tailor fit. Tailor fit. In other words, God says, I want to take all the excess off your life and I'm going to put this special crown on you. I'm going to put this special crown on you and I want you to do it. But you're not going to do it alone. It's not going to be just do it. It's going to be we do it. Oh, we do it. Because a lot of times the world might say, well, well, just do it. 